Greetings all and welcome to Margin Call, the podcast and editorial meeting for Quest On Media. I'm your host, Russell Morse. Welcome everybody, welcome. It's been a while. I'm very excited to be back. Uh, I assume that our listeners are excited that we're back before the show. Uh, I told our producer, Yiming Piancai, uh, that this was basically like when Game of Thrones is away for a while and they come back and have an episode. You guys remember there'd be a whole cultural phenomenon behind that. This is like the equivalent, uh, in, in my opinion. I get as excited about recording a new show as people do or used to when a new Game of Thrones season was coming back. Yiming resented the comparison. She thought maybe she thought maybe Game of Thrones was a bigger cultural phenomenon <laughs> than Margin Call. Well, that, that's fine. It's a bit of a stretch. It's a stretch. I'll give you that. It's a stretch. Uh, but I'm, I'm very glad to be back. And I'm very glad to be back in the booth with our producer, Yiming. It's always a pleasure. Thank you, Yiming, as always, for being here. Yeah. Thumbs up. For those who can't see, Yiming is giving a very sarcastic thumbs up. Yeah, that is a very sarcastic thumbs up. I wish I could gift that and then just send it to you whenever I'm sarcastically <laughs> excited about something. Yeah, there she you, goes again. You definitely just brought out the the, the quest on in her. Yes. <laughs> it's in there. <laughs> uh, before I introduce our, our guest for tonight's episode, uh, I want to talk a little bit about our topic. Now, this was brought to my attention through an article on The Crimson. You can check it out, thecrimson.com. The headline is Enrolling in Sugar Baby University. And are you curious to know what Sugar Baby University is? I sure was when I read that headline. Uh, it's a website essentially that helps to connect young people who are in school or have school-related expenses uh, to wealthy, presumably older people who are willing to have what they call a uh, seeking. They're seeking an arrangement. Right. There, there are a lot of different there's a lot of different language we can use for this. And we'll be using plenty of euphemisms in our discussion. But this is something that's been around in the culture for a long time to get right to the chase. It's uh, sugar daddies and sugar babies. From what I understand about Sugar Baby University and what I read in the article, most of the sugar babies are women and most of the sugar daddies are men. I know that there are a lot of exceptions to that dynamic, but we thought this could prompt a discussion about those kinds of arrangements ways of making money. It's also a conversation about the economy, about the gig economy, about student debt, um, and how we think about how we make money. So uh, without further ado, I'm very excited to introduce our guest tonight because she is an old, old friend who's never been on the show before. Maybe my last old friend who hasn't been on the show. Uh, Eric and I have known each other Almost 20 years, I think. 2009 oh is when we first met. I'm excited that it's been that long. Erica sounds like, oh my God, 20 years. But yes, I think, you know, 2001, right? So what is that? 18 years. I'll round it up to 20. Um, but but, but our that guest, looks so young. It's so confusing. Oh, thank you. Good save. Thank you. I, you know what? We look great. I know that our listeners have to take our word for it. But all three of us, I mean, I think we look great for where we are in life. But I suppose that's a topic for another show. Uh, but let me welcome Erica Lewis, an old friend to the show who brought this topic to us. Thank you so much for being on. Uh, it's great to see your face. It's been a long time. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Such a warm, ingratiating welcome. I appreciate well, it. What were you expecting? A hostile and cold and icy welcome? Hey, yeah, I'm, this is I'm, Erica. <laughs> She all right. Figure it out. She's cool. She's cool. Good. It's good not to have any expectations when you come on this show. She won't talk very much. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. Don't set it up like that. I didn't sneak anything in like that. I would like the (laughs) listeners to make their own decisions about Erica and whether you know it's you know you like to chat. That's why you're good for a podcast. There's nothing wrong with being chatty. Eamon complains about me being chatty on the show all the time, sucking up eighty percent of the airspace. (laughs) Do you like to talk? You do like to Mm -hmm. talk. So thanks for being here. Maybe you can give us a little bit of background because I don't want to read the whole story, but tell me a little bit about this story, uh, Sugar Baby University, and why you suggested it for our show tonight. Well, I'm going to just start with myself. Um, I am a young-ish grad student who is nearly $100,000 in debt um, for both undergraduate and graduate loans at this point. And that's climbing because I'm not done with my program. I'll be done in another two years. Um, I'm in school to be a nurse practitioner, which is like, I don't want to get bored. It's basically like being a doctor, but getting paid less and taking a lot more shit. Can I say shit? I don't know. (laughs) You can say shit. You can say all the shit you want. I I hold, before we move on, I just want to let you know, I did not know this about you. Congratulations. And I hold nurse practitioners in high regard because my primary care person for a long time was a nurse practitioner named Mona. Shout out to Mona. Um, And in my experience, she was, uh, she practiced medicine in a much more holistic way than primary care doctors that I've had in the past who were like, here's a prescription or whatever. Like she really wanted to know what's going on in my life. She was interested in my mental health. She wanted to know a lot about who I was and my life experience. And I gained a lot from her and had a very meaningful relationship with her. So anytime I hear anything about nurse practitioners, I think of Mona and I have a lot of respect for that profession. So congrats. Maybe you could be someone else's Mona one day or many other people's Mona one day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So on my way to becoming Mona, (laughs) Um, I've incurred a lot of debt and in this hyperinflated gig economy that we all live in where people are working harder and making less and not having it's what I find is that most of my friends and, you know, women that I come into contact with are all scratching their heads and looking at their bills and how they're going to pay for all of this. And I mean, you can just do a cursory look at statistics and, and see that, you know, we're not alone. There are more people that owe money for student loans than that owe money for credit cards and car loans combined. So it's definitely an where people are feeling vulnerable. And with that vulnerability, people will think harder about, you know, going into avenues to make money and find a gig than they maybe otherwise would. So enter Sugar Baby University which is basically, it's like a high-end seeking arrangement for people who are looking to make um, financial gain um, from people who want to give it. So, you know, you can look at that and say that it's a a high-class form of prostitution. You can look at that and say it's um, a sugar baby sugar daddy or a sugar mama sugar daddy situation. However you slice it, that's what this site is for. And they boast to be one of the biggest, if not the uh, seeking arrangement site, the world's largest um, for monetized dating. So that's what it is. Um, and that's in a nutshell why I'm interested in it, because I feel like there are a lot of people who are trying hard to figure out how they're going to pay 
loans, but how they're going to pay for their day-to-day lives. Because for people who aren't like in school, once you start something as arduous as a graduate, like medical program, you can't work. You can't do anything else. All you can do is hope and pray. You can pass all the exams and pass all the tests. And while you're, you know, doing that, and that's a novel goal, you still have to be able to pay for your car or house, your, your day-to-day bills. And so one of the ways that people are doing that is doing this. Monetized dating. I think that's the phrase that I was looking for. I mentioned euphemisms in the intro. There are a lot of different ways to talk about it, like you said, because this, these kinds of arrangements are subject to a lot of, you know, speculation, judgment, everyone's life experience and understanding of morality is going to be projected onto a conversation about something like this. But I think monetized dating, you know, is a nice way to talk about it. It's a very, it's a neutral term that describes what's happening here because a lot of these arrangements are different, right? I mean, from what I understand, a lot of relationships are non-sexual, right? And they are about companionship and partnership. Each Exchange has its own definition for payment. People fig- just like any any romantic relationship. You know what I mean? Like yeah. people figure out what the parameters are and how often you're going to spend together and what that entails. Um, so I like that phrase, monetized dating. It's going to help me get through this conversation uh, without. <laughs> well, seriously, because I, I wouldn't want to use any. I, I don't have any judgments around arrangements like this or even this phenomenon. I have a lot of questions, um, but I don't want to use language that yeah. you know, could be interpreted as being judgmental because I, you know, I don't really have any judgment around this. I just want to know more, you know? Yeah. So in poking around, since you, you mentioned that, um, found it particularly interesting that two perpetually financially vulnerable subsets of people are on the site most, and that is teachers and students. Um, you can guess why that is because teachers make abysmal incomes and they figure out a way to subsist on basically nothing. And students, because like I just explained, we can't work. A lot of us like while we're in school to pay for, um, you know, life's expenses becomes problematic when you're trying so hard to achieve the American dream of your education. Um, so one person in particular, this woman from Nevada, I was looking at um, CNN.com and approximately 60% of this woman's household income was obtained in one year from using the platform. She basically said, hey, you know, I pay my bills and I enjoy the experiences that come with it, but I would not be able to continue to be a teacher if it wasn't for this site and if it wasn't for, you know, what the site is able to afford me. And I have the choice. I have the opportunity to make choices about what I spend my time with, about what kind of, of um, things I'm willing to tolerate or deal with or put up with and what I'm not. And so in that way, I feel like it's really revolutionary and, and it offers people an alternative. It's almost like the bachelorette, you know, like you're on such a high platform being on the bachelorette that you actually get an opportunity to make choices that most women in that particular scenario would never get, you know, you, your choices, Joe 
door or the guy that, that you work with. But on that high level, you're able to like kind of cherry pick and pick and choose who you want to date or who you want to do. So in that way, I feel like it's kind of, it's kind of revolutionary, but there's a lot of problems and I'm going to get to that too. Uh, yeah, I want to talk about the problems, obviously, because that's most of my questions have to do with that. What what areas of this are particularly problematic? One that jumped out at me is exactly what you're saying, which is the student debt problem, right? Like, I, I think when I hear about arrangements, I always think like, well, that's good because you have one person who's like, hey, you know what? Like, this works for me. I want to make some money, whatever that money might be for. And somebody else says, I want companionship and I'm willing to pay for it. And that's just two adults working something out that works for them. Right. I yeah. wonder, um, because we do have what we call a student debt crisis now, if there are right. people who might not be so excited about doing this work, uh, uh, but are lured by the promise of a lot of money, doing something kind of out of, I, I don't want to use the word desperation, but doing something they might not otherwise do because they've been squeezed by the way that we've structured our economy, right? Like the student, the way that student debt works, the cost of education has gone up, the cost of living has gone up. Are more people, particularly young women, squeezed into making a decision they might not otherwise make, which to me is different from someone who's just like, yeah, this is, this is what I want to do. This is like a cool way to make money for me right now. Do you know what I mean? Like creating yeah. a desperate, it's a, it's a problem that exists in the economy that now is kind of being shifted off onto people who have to make what might be difficult decisions. I don't know if that's the case, but I imagine that there are situations like that. And when you add on to that, the fact that we all know women make less money than men. I mean, right. on the average, women make 80 cents on the dollar and childcare and cost of living expenses. As we know, women make like 80 cents to the dollar for men in comparison to men, black women on average makes 60 Latina women make like 53 cents. Um, so it's really easy to see how um, a platform like this could be appealing to people who it not necessarily be appealing to on the surface or on the front. Um, according to a spokesperson for the site, the site hosts about 10,000 just from Nevada. Um, Nevada ranked eighth in the nation for having the most teachers and college students on Sugar Baby. California ranked first, followed by New York and then Texas. So that gives you a kind of idea of the slice and the scale at which like people are on using the site and who is using it the most. It's people where the um, economy in these areas and the cost of living is the highest. That makes sense. I mean, I, although I wonder, do numbers have to do with the fact that they're a populous state? Is it percentage or is it just because California has so many people, there are more people on the platform from there? It could be both, honestly. Although cost of living is a good point. I mean, it's, it's similar to what I was saying earlier, which is my concern would be if people are making this decision, not because it's something that they're necessarily interested in, but because they're squeezed by the economy into this option that they might yeah. not otherwise make. Although, can't you make that argument about any job? Isn't that what a job is? I You're mean, squeezed into making about, a decision you wouldn't make any otherwise? Certainly about like sex work and, pro and prostitution. You know what I mean? Which yeah. is like a gray area that this runs tangent to. I'm yeah. not going to say that it is that. I'm not going to say that it isn't. Yeah. It is... Um, the opportunity is there and it's a, it's on a higher level than say, I don't know, match.com. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. It's it's there and it's prevalent. And I'm sure if you were to survey the women who are on the site and who are avid users, you know, and it is something that they negotiate and manage and navigate. And my one of my biggest problems with the site is that I feel like too trivial with the idea of of um, sex work and not calling it sex work. It's more like the way that advertised is be a sugar baby, get the lifestyle you've always wanted, like get what you deserve. But like, it's not really targeted or I don't know. It just doesn't come off as being as serious as it is, you know, like sex work is work, like even just entertaining and, and choosing and selecting and navigating through a field of potential suitors who may or may not pay you for your time, that takes work. And that takes a lot of like gumption and ingenuity, you know, and and this, the way that this site is set up, even just the name sugar babies is like infantilizing, you know what I mean? And like the whole idea that um, the women who are on this site are just waiting at your beck and call. I mean, they're, they're students by day and they're, and they're, you know, your sex kittens by night, you know, it's like this whole weird dichotomy imagery that I feel like could be different. Like if ever there was a place to be radical, this is the place because men sex or they're going to want companionship no matter what so why not be even more upfront about it and why not just call it what it is like you're seeking an arrangement seeking an arrangement this is what it is you know like I feel like this site would actually get higher um, buy-in from women if they did that what happened with the men but that's how I feel well hearing the language that you're using of like which is problematic because most of my questions about this have less to do with like people who are making this decision for themselves because obviously people make their own decisions and more yeah. about how it's marketed and branded right like you know they're they're using language like you're saying like leading with sugar baby without fully acknowledging what this actually is um talking you know in the first paragraph of this piece, they they mentioned that the website text, you know, has a phrase that says discover a new way to afford an education. Um, you know, I imagine if you're like Googling, like paying for college, you know, it's like Sugar Babies has done some search engine optimization to like pop up and be like, oh, you're looking for funding for college? Try this. And what that reminds me of uh, is the P word, which is a pimp, Right. Right. Uh, and I know there are other words for that that we could use, but I'm just going to use the P word pimp uh, because that raises a lot of parallel questions. Now, I, like you, I'm reluctant to use the phrase sex work to talk about this because this, I think, is a different thing that kind of needs to be treated independently. But it does raise a lot of the concerns of sex work. And yeah. what is the role of a pimp for a person who's a sex worker? Right. Or the potential role of a pimp. Ostensibly, a pimp offers, you know, protection because it's dangerous work. Right. Like that you won't be exploited or that you won't be assaulted or you have some line of protection against exploitation and assault, I could see how a website like this might make people feel safer about an arrangement, right? As opposed to like some person that you meet on the internet or just on Craigslist or something who could be anyone, right? Uh, and I, I assume that that's a part of their model and a part of what they're offering. 
But what does a pimp also do, right? They got to charge you for those services, right? So they're taking a percentage of what you make. What I'm curious about, especially if we're having this conversation in the context of the gig economy, is how much are they taking? And how, in what way are people being undercut by this platform? You know, because when we talk about the gig economy, we talk about Uber drivers who don't make the amount of money that they should because the platform takes a lot of money or the platform dictates what they can do. Um, right. do are you aware of what these services charge or what you have to pay back to the site as a percentage or how they're so, even starting to generate money? This is where it gets really interesting and where I'm I this, I don't know. It's almost like this double-edged sword. Um, women aren't charged anything to be platform. Men are charged to be in this premium, you know, arena where they're able to essentially pick and whatever type of woman they choose, height, weight, looks, boobs, whatever they want. It's a virtual woman smorgasbord for them. So they're premium to be able to have access and gain access to women from around the planet. Right. Um, So in that way, I feel like it's turning the tables on the pimp industry a little bit because the, the power dynamic, it lies much more heavily than it does on the men because the woman can choose they don't have to pay they are open and free to essentially you know select as they choose men have to elicit and men have to pay and men have to you know they're the ones that have to pay in terms are they of the paying monitor. for membership like do you pay a monthly fee or something to they're paying a the membership there there's there's tiers to the membership there's like a premium like double super exclusive elite pack which God only knows how much that costs. I had to like do like a preliminary sign up just to see some of the information. Um, so I do know that they pay a certain amount, but um, there, I and I know that there's tiers and like, you know, like the premium platinum package versus the gold versus the bronze. They're at monetary amounts. I'm interested, uh, you know, there is kind of a news angle here in some ways because I've been reading a lot about, uh, Jeffrey Epstein and what he was accused of doing and his methods of recruiting young women. Uh, his targets, obviously, the reason he was in legal trouble is because a lot of the women that he targeted were not adults, right? Which is right. a separate category because that's illegal. Um, but I, I recently read an article about, you know, he had scouts, right? There were people that he sent out to get women for him, essentially. He didn't have to join something like this because he was a rich guy who could pay people to go do that kind of work for him. But he targeted dance studios in New York City um, Uh because they're, you know, people who are dancers are vulnerable in a similar way to teachers and students. Right. Because they have a life dream in order to be a dancer. You have to be working all the time uh, and you're not making a lot of money. And it's a very competitive industry. It's like being an actor or something else. And people in that world are always looking for a way to kind of make like easy money, right? Like, you know, a lot of people are servers, but they're also looking for like side hustles and stuff like that. So he would spread the word in dance studios for people to come to him ostensibly for a massage. It's a different dynamic, obviously, because if you're signing up on a website like Sugar Baby University, you know that it's transactional and a lot of people on there are going to be looking for sex. And you can say, 
I am interested in that or I'm not in, interested in that. So what, what Epstein was doing was absolutely exploitative. But it's a very similar group of people who are vulnerable and young, uh, vulnerable in terms of, you know, having a lot of expenses, right? People who need money right. because they're pursuing a dream, just like a person like you who's going to medical school. Um, except that, you know, Epstein's behavior is like pretty universally condemned. Again, there are differences. I'm not comparing what Jeffrey Epstein did to this website. But there is some overlap there in terms of targeting a group yeah. of people that you know is desperate for money um, and putting people in a position where they have to navigate tricky situations where you might have to say, no, you don't want to do something. Uh, and I am surprised that those two things have not come up in the same conversation, probably because it's difficult to navigate because you don't want to take away someone's agency who's on Sugar Baby University and decided to do this and say that they're a victim in some way because they're not. If they're making a decision to do something. Um, but it does raise those kinds of questions for people who are on an economic bubble, who, as you mentioned, are almost always women. Yeah. I, wonder I mean, I can't, I'm like I said, I'm, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Keep going. No, no. I, I was only going to put it to you to see if you saw hints of what's happening, um, you know, for people who are seeking an arrangement and, you know, what's to stop somebody from somebody like Jeffrey Epstein from being a member of one of these websites and being exploitative or putting young women in danger? You know, I don't understand what the guarantees are and how yeah. easy it is to set boundaries with people because setting boundaries with people is hard no matter what kind of workplace you're in. You could be a doctor working in a hospital and people would act inappropriate with you sexually, you know? So my, my question is about that. And I don't know if you've thought about that, but just the risks that are involved and how people can be in a position where they might be exploited or assaulted even. Yeah. I mean, the messaging site, just to address, first of all, the age um, demographics, um, they do have a very stringent code of um, checking to make sure that every person that is on the site is at least of legal age. Um, and to also make sure that the, especially the men who are on the site are who they say they are. Um, there's a lot of vetting that happens to before um, a sugar daddy can, can enter the site. Right. Um, and some of that is just to mitigate that type of like kind of the ickiness, right? right? Like people who are on younger or people who are supposedly less uh, financially stable. Right. So there are, but in terms of people having to make um, decisions or tough decisions or navigating, you know, different situations, scenarios that they might not be comfortable with, I, I too have a plethora of questions about how these young women are, are managing and, and mitigating conversations around what I will do, what I won't do, what I am okay with, what I'm not okay with, and how that changes and fluctuates for a client. I mean, it's just, I don't know. And I, the next step for me would be to try to find someone who I could talk to and sit down with and see, you know, from a bird's eye perspective, how that works for them or doesn't. Well, know? that was going to be... Sorry, I, I was only going to say I'm curious about that, too. Do you know anyone who's doing this kind of work or people who have had arrangements like this before that, you're, that you've spoken to? Or are you going to start looking around so in your own network? I reached out. 
I reached out to the woman who wrote the Crimson article. Um, I think her name is Malikia Tapper, um, just to see if I could try to get one of her contacts that she spoke with. Um, but the short answer is no. But what I do find is that when you do officially sign up on the site, they request that you use your um, school email. And they do that tracking purposes to see how many students are at each university. And once you're officially enrolled, they'll show you um, a list of numbers of people who are at your school who are also sugar babies. So I think that that's an interesting way to kind of cut the stigma, but also like desensitize people to this idea that, you know, it's just you and you're, you know, the only one that's in this particular predicament or situation, but also to build camaraderie between people who, you know, may be in the same classroom, maybe, you know, walking the halls with you. So, yeah. Yeah. I saw that in the article and I, I, it's a good example of why this conversation is difficult to have because something like that, for me, my initial response is, oh, that's somewhat exploitative because it's normalizing something that needs a little bit more context than driving for Uber, in my opinion, you know? Yeah. Uh, And you're kind of mining data, which is the problem of tech in general, right? That you're like collecting data on people. And then it is much easier to say like, oh, you know, you go to uh, UC Berkeley, like there are 750 people who do this at UC Berkeley. It makes it easier to make that decision. But that, I mean, what is that other than peer pressure? Kind of, you know, like lots of people are doing it. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and and it's harder to make an informed decision. Back and forth in my mind as to whether I feel like this platform, just the platform itself, like forget about the problematic like language that site uses, but whether the the peer platform itself is problematic or progressive. Like I I, I vacillate back and forth. On the one hand, it's like putting it out there, keeping it straightforward, making sure that people are taken care of, vetting and, and, and bring people an opportunity to, um, communicate with other people who are in this world. But on the other hand, like you said, it's data mining and it's exploitative and it's, you know, taking advantage of some of the common tropes and, and misogyny that has gotten us to almost 2020. And we have a president that's talking about grabbing women by the pussy. So, you know, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just imagine there are going to be a lot of Donald Trumps on this website. You know what I'm saying? Like A lot of people who are wealthy and feel entitled to women's bodies and women's company and using money, uh, which is why I have these questions. But again, I don't want to be judgmental. I don't want to make assumptions about something I don't know about. You know what I mean? I just think that those are some initial responses that are at least somewhat justified, you know. But again, isn't it also paternalistic to say like, oh, these young women can't make decisions for themselves. Don't they know that they're going to get hurt? Like that's just as problematic, which is why this is such an interesting topic to me because there is no answer, right? Like, just like you said, I'm going back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Back and forth. Cause it's like, okay, on the one hand, this is so radical and progressive, but then on the other hand, it's like super problematic at the same time. So, I mean, which is, I guess where we are in this country, but Mm. um, that's a topic, different topic for a totally different show. Um, one thing I would say is that, you know, since we did just 
mention the Trump word. <sighs> um, right now, as it stands, Betsy DeVos, who is the education secretary, sort of, I guess, and Trump are trying very hard to dismantle um, the student loan and debt forgiveness programs that President Obama like put into place. And should that happen, it's going to put more people in this rock and a hard place where they're going to be having to consider things that they wouldn't ordinarily have to, to try to deal with and to try to pay for school and school loans have gone up exponentially over the last five years. I think I read a statistic on Forbes.com that um, the average cost of a two-year education has gone up eight times over the last five years, and the cost of living increase has gone up 1%. Yeah. So it's just some stuff to think about. You know, It's like, it's not getting better. It's Unfortunately, it's getting worse. Yeah. Iming, I told you I was going to come to you at the top of the show. First mm -hmm. of all, because I always like to get you involved in our conversations because... Mm -hmm. You're a wonderful producer, but often your contributions are some of the most profound on our episodes. Uh, I I thought you had an interesting take on this. I cut you off because I said save it for the show. But what is your initial reaction to this uh, idea and the idea of arrangements? And, uh, you know, I, I'm obviously kind of wrestling with my feelings about it. It sounds like Eric is doing the same thing. What are, what are your thoughts? Um, well, I've been thinking about not in the same context, but recently I was thinking more about when I was younger and what I could have gotten away with if I had the, um, the persona <laughs> for it. And I was thinking like, I probably could have gotten away with, with like murder at that age, if I had known what to do with myself <laughs> at the time. So do you mean like, yeah, because you were not like, a, do you mean yeah. because you were like a young, attractive woman? You, yeah. Well, I mean, okay. I didn't know it then. Cause I was, do you mean like Dexter style, like literal murder, or do you mean like what are we talking about? And, and anything, anything was possible. I had a canvas of life, and I did nothing with it. But you know, <laughs> that was well. You didn't murder anybody. I, yeah, you've done a lot. <laughs> You're a very accomplished woman. I understand. No, I, uh, I just mean like I. I was thinking about it recently, and like you know, if 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 I had known how to use my whatever I had at the time I probably could have gotten further in life but I that wasn't who I was that wasn't what I did so that wasn't available to me but looking back on it and when I look at like old like like old things of myself I'm like damn I could have done something with that <laughs> so just to clarify wild feminine wiles wow okay so yeah we're getting into that category I just want to make sure I'm hearing you right yeah. You're saying that when you were a young person, and we actually, we all knew you when you were yeah, a yeah. young person. That's the why I'm like, you can probably about. back me up on that. <laughs> you know, it, as a young, as a college student. So we knew you when you were that age. You were a good looking young woman. And you're saying you wish you had known what you had at the time. You wish you had enough self-confidence because this yeah. could have been a missed opportunity. You're saying you could have done a lot of things uh, to that would have helped your status in life. Yeah by using your physical appearance yep all right so so you know what my next question is going to be would you have considered an arrangement like this at that time in your life i don't know <laughs> no not at all i was so, definitely not i'm saying if, if if i was like if i could merge my current brain with my then body 
Well, that's a tale as old as time. If I knew then what I know now, youth that's, is wasted but on the That's my young. point. That's my point is that, is that if I was smart enough now to do what I was doing then, then it probably would have been a whole different situation for me. Maybe. I'm not saying it would have, but I'm saying it's let a possibility. Me, yeah. mean, okay, so yeah. let me just ask you this question. What yeah. would you have liked to have done? What would you like to do that you feel like you could have got away with then, but you can't get away with now? Stuff I can't talk about. Ooh, the good stuff. <laughs> well, I assume because you alluded to that at the, you know before we hit record, right. uh, and I thought maybe you were saying, "Hey, I understand what these women are doing, and I had my own expenses when I was a young woman. If I if I was you know if I knew what I had because I know that I was an attractive young woman, I might have done something like this. But that's not what you're saying. You're saying you might have used your yeah, aesthetic I, gifts in a different way. Yeah, I don't think I would have. I mean, I I don't know. It was the past. I don't know. I uh, no. I don't. If I had been a different kind of person with a different kind of personality, probably, maybe anything's possible. But if I'm focusing on just who I was then, then no. Because so I was this. I was like a little plastic thing. Like nothing was gonna. No, that wasn't gonna work. We're all very challenged. I think when I was 18, 19, 20 years old, I had no idea what was going on in the world. That's not to denigrate 18, 19, 20 year olds. I just, where I was, I wasn't in any position to make decisions, good or bad. Oh no, I wasn't in a position to make bad decisions. I made plenty of those, but I hear what you mean. Uh, I think for me, I was really afraid of my physical appearance what it could do when I was like 19 and 20 it it I was frightened by it I'm just just keeping on on way honest and real and I I actually feel like I had the opposite effect like I wanted to not be the center of attention and not people pay for my way and not have I wanted people to listen to what I had to say and I wanted to have a voice and I didn't want people just I whatever, you know, and to the extent that people did, that kind of drove me towards religion and towards um, a way of life that, you know, made all of those things a lot more obsolete. So, Yeah. So you're saying you were in a position because you were an attractive young woman and people were not listening to what you had to say. They were only interested in you romantically and you weren't being heard, which kind of put you, or at least you made a decision to become a more religious person so that you'd be less of a potential sex object to other people. Is that what you're saying? That's a really simplified way to, but right. yeah, I mean, as, as I look back on my life, I realize, you know, subconsciously that a lot of these things were, were happening and many things were happening simultaneously. Like, of course, I was super interested in just religion in general and understanding theology in general and, and life and esoteric questions about, you know, the universe and how we all got here. But at the core, I feel like there was a lot of inklings of insecurity and not feeling like, I wanted to take advantage of this mode of, you know, perpetual beauty. Like I just didn't, yeah. I wasn't into that. Right. There's another piece here and you alluded to this email a little bit about the pressures of being in an arrangement like that, because it's not just about being attractive, right? Like you can, it's not just about being cute. You have to be kind of, you have to be entertaining, right? You're a companion yeah. 
in this situation. It's very different from when we think of a traditional sex worker, maybe someone, for instance, who says like, all right, you know, $1,000 in a hotel room for one hour, whatever that might entail. This is a lot more, uh, they're often ongoing relationships and it's about being like, it's performative. You know, you're supposed to be acting as a cute college girl who's like funny and smart and really interested in this person. And that takes a lot of energy, you know, particularly for not everybody's that social. You're or a that, modern day courtesan. Yeah. 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 That's what and you it's, it's your job to make people who might not feel that good about themselves feel good about themselves. And that's exhausting too, I would imagine. Yeah. You know, which is, I think, an aspect that maybe it's kind of what they're talking about in the story, why this isn't strictly sex work, because you are performative and it's also about engaging someone socially, which is a completely different skill set. You know, like what if you are like feeling kind of depressed and you want to just like hang out and watch TV or something? You know what I mean? Like you, you might always not... have to be on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting aspect. Uh, so I would ask you then, I guess, since it's only fair and I'll ask, the, I'll answer the question next, Erica, thinking about yourself as a younger person, or even now today, is this kind of arrangement something that you would have ever considered or something that you would consider now in your life? Uh, I know, you know, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but I think it's an obvious question because different people make these decisions for different reasons. Was there ever a time in your life that you would consider an arrangement like this? Definitely not as a younger person. I was totally more liberal and free thinking now than I was in my younger year. Definitely not as a younger person. Um, in this day and, and, and span of my life, I don't think I have the wherewithal to do it. Like I just am set in my ways and I, that performative aspect that you talked so um, eloquently about a few minutes ago, I don't think I have that entertaining ability and to have to do that with multiple people in order to amass the type of income that I think would be required to do this. I don't have it. I definitely don't have it. In me. So it's not like a moral issue for you then. It's not something that you think no. feels wrong. It's not to, okay. for me. It's not a moral issue. Yeah. It's more it just of sounds a, exhausting. <laughs> yeah. It's um, too old for that shit. It does. It does sound <laughs> exhausting. Yeah. So to be fair to both of you, I'll answer the question. First of all, I would like to acknowledge, I mean, this is a heavily gendered conversation, but if we're talking about sugar babies and daddies, uh, I don't want to make this assumption, but I assume that this website is for young women who are the babies and for uh, men who are the daddies, right? Just based on the language and the way things are. Framed. I mean, that's all that they show in their pictures. So right. if there's anything other, they certainly aren't. And that was one of my gripes with the site too. Like, yeah. I feel like if you're going to be so such a radical platform and, and put it out there, like put that option out there too. Yeah. I mean, um, I'm sure there are a lot of young men who will be willing to do that kind of work and a lot of women. But also sugar mama to sugar mama. What's that? That too. Yes. And sugar daddy to sugar baby daddy. Sugar daddy. Yes. Daddy to daddy. (laughs) Together at last. Eming, you were going to say something? I'm sorry. I was was, uh, um, speaking with with, um, Min about this earlier today because he asked me what our our show was about. And I told him about it. And he was like, he was confused about the word. He's like, what's a sugar baby? And then he thought it was like actual babies. (laughs) He was like, 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 as someone who's like not really in on what's going on, 
that that makes no sense. Like, find a better name because it doesn't. You know, I think yeah. that language existed, right? I mean, long before this site branded it, that yeah. was the language that people used when they had these arrangements. Like, I've I've heard from friends, like friends of mine who have used like dating apps a lot. They've said there are a lot of women on there who said like, "I'm a baby looking for a daddy." You know what I mean? Like before this platform existed. Women would so use dating apps to look for that. So it is. It is. It just harkens R. Kelly in my mind. Like it just feels real mm-hmm. pedophilic. That's a whole yeah. other episode. Anyway, yeah. But it's again on dating platforms. These are women who are asking for that arrangement, right? And if if we start to talk about how problematic it is, are we starting to remove their agency? I don't know. That's why it's a difficult conversation to have because if you're an adult who's making your own decisions, then. You know, I, it would be hard for me to jump in and say, like, what am I going to do? Send a, a message to someone and say, I'm concerned about this behavior. Again, that would be paternalistic or that would, again, that would remove someone's agency. But to be fair, like, who's zooming who? Like, the language is already there. So is it that the people are using the language because this is the codified language that ascribed? Like, yeah. or is it that this, this is the language that they really want to use? You know what I mean? Like, that's true. Yeah, I don't know. It's the language of the world. Yeah, I mean, I had a situation that is similar thematically uh, when I was an undergrad. And as you both probably know, I was an older person when I was getting my college diploma. I was like in my 30s. And I had a friend who was a more traditional undergrad. She was like 19 or 20 years old or something. And she identified as a lesbian. She only dated women. Um, But I think she said sometimes she dated men and she said, oh, I want to ask your advice for something. I think it's because I was an old guy, an old person. So she, this would be something that she would want to get advice from an old person. I don't know why you're calling yourself old at 30. Well, I mean, if you're 19 years old to her, I'm like, I get it. I get it. I don't know. I mean, we were friends. We were legitimately friends Um, and whatever. It was a friendship that I value. She's a very nice person. And she asked me a similar question, but it was not from a platform or anything. She just knew someone who was older and had money and had offered to give her money, you know, just to go on dates with him. Right. And she was asking me if I thought that was a good idea. And first of all, I don't like to, to which give you un- responded. Well, first of all, I don't like to give unsolicited advice. So if my friend, if this person came to me and said, oh, this older guy says he's going to give me money to go on dates with him. I'm going to do it. I feel happy about it. I wouldn't have anything to say about it, right? But I took it seriously that she was asking me for advice. So I thought seriously about it. Obviously, the only question was, how do you feel about it? You know? And she said, well, first of all, there's the issue that I'm like not really attracted to men. So the whole thing would be kind of an act, you know? And <sighs> second of all, she didn't... Yeah, right? It was, a, it was a tricky position to be in because... She was asking for my advice, but I also didn't want to impose my own, like, whatever. Like, I, I know that I still have, like, some vaguely puritanical values that would respond to something like that in a negative way or make an assumption that it wouldn't be good for her. Um, but, you know, whatever. It worked out well because I just framed the conversation in a way where she was, she talked about it. She said, here's why I'm interested and here's why I don't think it would be a good idea. And she kind of made up her own mind in the course of that conversation. So thankfully, yeah, I what did she decide? That it wasn't the right thing for her. You know, like she wasn't so desperate for money and she wasn't so interested in it that it made sense for her, you know, and luckily she was in a situation where she wasn't desperate. Um, but it it's it's the first thing I thought of when I was reading this, because I had to really challenge my own thinking about this. Right. Wouldn't want to be prescriptive and tell someone like, you know, 
this is wrong or this is bad for you, you know? Uh, but I also wouldn't want to like green light it and just say like, do you make that money? You know what I mean? Because this is a, you know, it's a serious decision to make. And the fact that she was asking about it led me to believe that she probably didn't really want to, that she had doubts to begin with. And being type of scenario, you're putting yourself in a prescriptive place where you're essentially asking for for time or you know being in the company of someone else's it's already an act being a courtesan is already an act but then it's like an act an act because she's not interested she in didn't even like men yeah, yeah. <laughs> i know that was that's, the other point i made i was like wow you're really gonna have to do a lot of pretending here it sounds exhausting um but yeah, yeah. um in any case Thank you, Erica, for bringing this topic to our attention. These are the kind of things we love to talk about because there are no clean answers. We're not pundits or talking heads on Fox News and MSNBC. We just want to have an informed, enlightened uh, conversation about something that's challenging. And it raises a lot of questions about our economy, independent of the fact that this is quasi-sex work. Uh, it's a question about how much it costs to go to school. It's a question about how much it costs to pay your rent and the kind of decisions that young people are having to make. You know, it's, uh, it's definitely sex work adjacent, sex work adjacent. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it, too. But again, sex yeah. work means its own I thing. I don't know. Different people will say different things about it. Who knows? That's why it's wonder a good what, topic. I wonder what Drake would have to say. I Drake wonder what said. Drake would have to say. And I'm glad you mentioned it because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I did that just for email. You know, Drake is a very, he's a sensitive guy, you know, so I don't think he would be judgmental. And I, I, you know, I made a joking assumption at the top of the show that Drake is probably, you know. I feel like Hotline Bling is borderline, like, courtesan-esque. Like, used to call me on the cell phone, you know. That's true. That's true. But late night when you need my love. Who is he in that role, though? You know, so he's the sugar daddy who's been ghosted by the He's the sugar daddy and the girl is, is the one he's calling on himself. You know, I agree. We need to do. We need to reverse engineer. We need to pick that song apart and do a line by line analysis to find out if it's about a sugar daddy, sugar baby relationship. Next week on Margin Call, folks, we'll be t- taking that song apart to figure out if <laughs> Drake is a sugar daddy. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Uh, so yes, thank. Thanks. I'm calling in sick that week. Oh, you love it when we talk about Drake. At least I didn't mention Post Malone. Oh God. That's the other person I like to talk about on the show. Oh, God. <laughs> I have a lot of people I like to talk about. Shout out to Post Malone and Drake. Where would we be without you? This show um, is brought to you by Post Malone and Drake. Uh, Erica, thank you again for bringing the subject to our attention. Thank you for enlightening us with your perspectives and contextualization. Thank you as always to our producer, Eming Piancai, for keeping us on task and for navigating any number of technical challenges you might encounter. And thanks you were as always. the patient Skywalker. You oh, yeah, you've Skywalker. earned the name Patient Skywalker. Maybe we should put that on uh, as your screen name now, Patient Skywalker. It's going to stick, Eming. Lean in. Thanks to our producer, Patient Skywalker. <laughs> she doesn't like it. She doesn't like it. Okay, I'm not going to push my luck here, folks. I already mentioned Drake. I'm on thin ice with Eming. We had two interruptions on our feed. She's had enough. Uh, thanks to both of you. Thanks, as always, to our listeners. Thanks again to everybody who donated during our fundraiser. We're going to put that money to good use and keep good content coming your way, whether or not we mention Drake or Post Malone. Uh, Until next time, quest on, everybody.
This episode of Quest on Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California.